All right, welcome to this podcast. Uh, I'm calling it Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, I hope to have the purpose of this podcast be to show you how God is with you, God is with all of us um, through the life and teachings uh, and ministry of His Son, Jesus. Uh, so this uh, podcast will, like others, follow the Come Follow Me uh, curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, other than being a member of said church, um, I'm not uh, officially representing any church positions. Uh, and one of the things I hope to do with this podcast is to um, maybe touch on some of the topics that other people uh, don't touch on, whether out of fear or uh, whatever the case may be, and also to just look at things from a different perspective. So um, I have no real pitch for anybody to, to listen to the podcast other than if you listen and you enjoy it, then come on back and uh, I'll try to keep this up every week and do uh, one recording per week. So I'm starting out uh, the new year 2024 here with uh, the introduction to the Book of Mormon, um, a fantastic book. And so I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to stay in the scriptures quite a bit. Um, and like I said, touch on some things that maybe maybe others wouldn't and, and maybe look at some things a little bit differently. So um, let's go ahead and jump in. So the first part of this is the title page of the Book of Mormon. Uh, is the, the first part of the curriculum that for this week and come follow me. Um, so first paragraph, wherefore it is it, meaning the Book of Mormon, is an abridgment of the record of people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites written to the Lamanites who are a remnant of the house of Israel and also to Jew and Gentile, written by way of commandment, and also by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation, written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord, that they might not be destroyed, to come forth by the gift and power of God, unto the interpretation thereof, sealed by the hand of Moroni, and hid up unto the Lord, to come forth in due time by the way of, by way of the Gentile, the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. So, a couple things I just wanted to touch on here is... Um, one of the the things that I wanted to talk about this week is just the translation of the Book of Mormon. Um, it says it comes forth by the gift and power of God. There's a lot of different speculation out there over how the Book of Mormon was translated. Um, you know, Urim and Thummim, Seer Stones, um, maybe all the above. Um, I think there's some some great materials by the church put out uh, there to, to talk through that. Um, there's a whole section in the Gospel Library on the translation of the Book of Mormon. Um, but I think <clears throat> one of the things that um, stands out to me the most about that whole um, situation is to, to maybe spend less time uh, worrying about how it came forth and, and worrying more about what's in it um, and what we can learn from it. So um, I think uh, that's one of the things that I like to, to focus on and to consider um, how long it took Joseph to translate the Book of Mormon and to just consider how focused on the Savior it is, how clear the truths are, um, and to see the evidence in the book itself that it is from God. Um, and I think any honest seeker who really reads this book from beginning to end and really considers honestly the content of the book, um, the Christology, how focused it is on Jesus Christ and his teachings, um, how clear it is, um, and just the, the words in there that can 
really heal the wounded soul, to use the words of Jacob, um, I think are, are a testament to the fact that this book did come forth by um, the gift and power of God. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the translation of the Book of Mormon as we go through and, and find opportunity there. So just wanted to touch on that right off the bat. Um, next thing I wanted to, to touch on here in the title page is the sort of the purposes of the, the Book of Mormon. Uh, so the, the last paragraph here, to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. So I think you can go through and, and kind of see that uh, and think in your own life about the great things that the Lord has done for you. Um, and But the next part, I think, is just really important to me, and I, I think is something that um, I want people to think about and get from the Book of Mormon is just, uh, this year, is they are not cast off forever. Um, to, to have people know that they are not cast off forever. And I really do think that the Book of Mormon is a powerful witness that it doesn't matter how far off the path you've gone, how deep in the darkness you feel you are, that, uh, you know, as Elder Holland says, you're not deeper than the infinite light of Christ's light shines. Um, and I think you see that through many powerful examples all through the Book of Mormon. You know, Alma the Younger is obviously a classic. Um, the many different conversion stories um, that you see um, all through the Book of Mormon are prime examples um, of that happening and are indications to us that we're not cast off forever. One of my favorite um, passages about that um, is related to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's um, and when they're converted and when their king um, is sort of giving a speech um, and he kind of goes through and, and talks through all of the things that they had done um, and it says, and now behold, my brethren, since he says, since it has been all that we could do as we were the most lost of all mankind, you really think about, you know, the things that they had done and and he goes on to say, to repent of all our sins and the many murders which we have committed and to get God to take them away from our hearts. For it was all we could do to su repent sufficiently before God that he would take away our stain. Um, and so I think this is one of the prime examples um, in the Book of Mormon to show us that we're not cast off. This is a group of people who had um, were deeply entrenched in sin. And it's clear from his words um, from this king's words, that God had mercy on him. He goes on to say, The great God has had mercy on us and made these things known unto us that we might not perish. Yea, and he has made these things known unto us beforehand because he loveth our souls as well as he loveth our children. Therefore, in his mercy, he doth visit us by his angels that the plan of salvation might be made known unto us as well as unto future generations. Um, and he goes on to extol the mercies of God. But the, the bottom line that I point that I want to make uh, of this is one of the primary purposes of the Book of Mormon is to give us hope, um, to help us know that there is hope in Jesus Christ because of his atonement. We can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can be redeemed. We don't have to be um, who we are, who we were before. We can be different. We can be changed through Jesus Christ because of what he has done. And um, I love that message of the Book of Mormon. Um, and I think the other piece that I wanted to get to here 
Um, some other verses in the Book of Mormon that I think really powerfully illustrate this are in Second Nephi 26, um, where it says he, meaning, you know, God, doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. Okay. There's not anybody that, that is excluded from the Savior's invitation to come unto him and to partake um, of his salvation, of his goodness. Um, goes on to say, Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, but he hath given it free for all men. And he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, but all men are privileged, the one like unto the other, and none are forbidden. Um, and I think that's one of the powerful messages of the Book of Mormon. Um, I know a lot of people want to uh, get into the whole skin color and race issue that comes up in the Book of Mormon text, and we'll definitely get into that later. Um, but maybe, just maybe, uh, the purpose of the Book of Mormon is opposite to what some people want to make it sound like. Um, because really the message here and the culmination of the Book of Mormon after the Savior appears to them following his resurrection is that a group of people came together and there were no manner of ites and there was no contention, meaning that there were no different groups of people. They were all considered children of God and they looked at each other that way. Um, and I feel like that is one of the ultimate purposes of the Book of Mormon is to show us that through Jesus Christ, we can get past all of the differences that we may have, um, whether that's, you know, politically, um, racially, socially, economically, whatever. We can get uh, past all of those differences and truly become one through him and become united as children of God and, and see each other that way. Um, rather through the lens that the world often tries to get us to look at each other through, um, and that is, you know, through race, gender, um, sexual orientation, all those different things. Whereas, you know, in the Book of Mormon, again, the culmination is showing us how through Christ and his teachings that we can overcome all that and become one and become united with one another. So, um, and I think if you just read the title page of the Book of Mormon, and you insert yourself in here, what great things the Lord has done for your fathers, that you may know the covenants of the Lord, that you are not cast off forever. Um, that can be a powerful way to read this, and, and I encourage you as you study the Book of Mormon on your own to really personalize that and insert your name <clears throat> in different areas so that you can see how it, this book truly is written for you. A um, couple more things just on the title page here that I think are really interesting um, it says, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Um, so one of the things that I would just encourage you to do an exercise to go through is to maybe look in <clears throat> the index or to do a word search in the Gospel Library app of Jesus Christ and to find different passages in the Book of Mormon that convince you or have convinced you or could convince you that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's your Savior, he's your Redeemer, um, that he did come to, to save you. Um, you know, a great example, I think, is King Benjamin in Mosiah chapter 3 when the angel comes to him and says, hey, you have reason to rejoice because I'm telling you that with power of the Lord omnipotent, this is chapter 3, verse 5 in Mosiah, 
who reigneth, who was, and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men, and shall dwell in the tabernacle of clay, and shall go forth amongst men, working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and carrying all manner of diseases. And he shall <clears throat> go forth. shall cast out devils with evil spirits which dwell in the hearts of the children of men. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abominations of his people. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. And lo, he cometh into his own, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. And even after all this, they shall consider him a man, and say that he hath a devil, and shall scourge him, and shall crucify him. And he shall rise the third day from the dead, and behold, he stands to judge the world. And behold, all these things are done, that a righteous judgment might come, among, uh, might come upon the children of men. Um, so for me, that's a, an example of a passage um, that convinces me that Jesus is the Christ. Another one is in Alma 34. Um, where Alma and Amulek are teaching people and they're talking through the infinite nature of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, it says, Christ will come among the children of men to take upon him the transgressions of his people, that he shall atone for the sins of the world. Talks about how it's necessary to have an atonement because of the fall. And then I love in verse 10, Alma chapter 34, for it is expedient that there should be a great and last sacrifice, yea, not a sacrifice of man, neither of beast, neither of any manner of fowl, for it shall not be a human sacrifice, but it must be an infinite and eternal sacrifice. Um, I just think that's really powerful to think about it, it, that it's infinite. There's not an end to it. There's not a beginning to it. It's just is, just like Jesus is. Um, he's self. He's the self-existent one, the great Jehovah, and to think through and ponder what that really means—that His atonement is infinite—and it goes back to that whole concept that we aren't cast off forever because Jesus Christ's atonement is infinite. Right? We can't sink lower than His power can reach down and raise us up, um, as long as we are willing to turn to Him. So. Just encourage you to think about some of the passages that you might be familiar with or <clears throat> passages that you could find through a, a quick word search or through going in the topical guide or the index um, and, and just seeing what passages convince me, um, convict my heart, my soul that Jesus is the Christ. Because um, my testimony is that, that he is the Christ. He is the eternal God. Um, he is all powerful. And that he is with us um, as long as we are willing to, to see him. So a um, couple other things quick here from the, the title page that I wanted to touch on. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, it says, and now if they, there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. So this is one of the things that I think I just want to take head on is, you know, there's a lot of criticisms of Joseph Smith, you know, different mistakes that he made, etc. And, you know, I've read a lot of the literature that's antagonistic towards um, Joseph Smith, um, even literature that you might consider anti. Uh, and I've read, you know, decent number of, of histories of the prophet Joseph and 
Um, certainly he was never perfect and never claimed to be. Um, but I think that we hold, for some reason, the world holds Joseph Smith to this unattainable standard and, and kind of transfers this sort of standard to um, those that we claim in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be prophets, to, to these standards of almost perfection. Um, and I think right here at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, it's kind of you know shooting that idea down. Um, this is not a claim that prophets or writers in the Book of Mormon or any modern day prophets are perfect. You know, Elder Uchtdorf um, has, has some great words to say about this. He says, to be, to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. I suppose the church would be perfect only if it were run by perfect beings. God is perfect and his doctrine is pure, but he works through us, his imperfect children, and imperfect people make mistakes. Uh, and that's the way it's always going to be. He goes on to say, it, it says, it's unfortunate that some have stumbled because of mistakes made by men. But in spite of this, the eternal truth of the restored gospel found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not tarnished, diminished, or destroyed. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and as one who has seen firsthand the counsels and workings of this church, I bear solemn witness that no decision of significance affecting this church or its members is ever made without earnestly seeking the inspiration, guidance, an approbation of our eternal father. <clears throat> this is the church of Jesus Christ. God will not allow his church to drift from its appointed course or fail to fulfill its divine destiny. So I think um, I, I also wanted to point out here, um, this, this concept and this idea um, of not discounting something just because somebody has made a mistake, a church leader, um, uh, particularly Joseph Smith in this case. Um, or any of the writers in the Book of Mormon. And, and I would just invite people to think about, um, for example, the Old Testament books, you know, Christians are in our church um, and other religions, in fact, revere the writings of Moses. Okay? And the fact of the, the matter is that Moses actually made a mistake serious enough that he <clears throat> was not allowed to go into the land of promise, the promised land. So, uh, in Numbers 20, we find that story that he took credit um, for hitting the rock and the water coming out. And as a result of him taking credit for it, the Lord said, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So a serious enough mistake that God doesn't allow Moses to bring <clears throat> the children of Israel into the promised land. But we don't take that mistake and say, oh, well, we can't benefit from Moses' words or all the rest of his words aren't true. So um, I think I would just say, let's, let's make sure that we um, give grace to other prophets as well. You know, the Apostle Paul straight up said, you know, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, you look at his past life and his mistakes. I mean, he had arguments straight up with Peter um, in, in front of other church leaders. Um, you know, we learn about that in Galatians and, and in Acts. Uh, so there's plenty of church leaders, including even um, in Matthew 16, Peter, you know, right after the, the Lord talks about Peter being a great leader, he has to rebuke Peter because 
he says that Peter's not savoring the things of God, but those that be of men. And even says, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. So I think you just look at this and you just have to recognize that God's working through imperfect people. Imperfect people make mistakes. But that doesn't mean that God can't work through imperfect people to transmit his perfect message. Um, so I think that's a, a line that I would invite you to, to think about. God can transmit his perfect message through imperfect people. And so recognize that from the get-go, that the writers of the Book of Mormon are imperfect, that the translator, Joseph Smith, <clears throat> of the Book of Mormon was imperfect as well, but that doesn't mean that God's perfect message can't be transmitted um, through these great prophets and through this great book, the Book of Mormon. So, um, and last, last thought just on the, the translation piece here as you look at the bottom and you see, you know, translated by the prophet Joseph Smith. <clears throat> and I love what um, Neil A. Maxwell said. He said, perhaps the details of translation are withheld also because we are intended to immerse ourselves in the substance of the book rather than becoming unduly concerned with the process by which we received it. And like I said, we're certainly going to talk about as we get further into the book, especially when we start talking about the Liahona and some comparisons there. Um, we'll talk about the process of the translation, um, but let's make sure from the get-go that we're, as Elder Maxwell says, immersing ourselves in the substance rather than being so worried about the process by which the book came forth. All right, now let's get into um, the introduction page um, of the Book of Mormon. It talks about it being comparable to the Bible and that it contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time um, on this page, but there are a few things that I wanted to touch on here. One being the crowning event recorded in the Book of Mormon um, well, actually, let me let me talk through something in the uh, second paragraph in the introduction. It was there's a, a change here a few years ago, um, talking about um, the lame, the different groups, the Jaredites, the Nephites, Lamanites, and the the change here is after thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are among the ancestors of the American Indians. And originally, it said they were the principal ancestors, but um, when you go back and look at you know, comments in, in church history and look at really, most importantly, look at the text itself. It's very apparent that there were other people um, when, you know, Nephi and Lehi came here and that those other people would have been a, a larger group of people. And so trying to, to pin, you know, sort of DNA research and, and a certain group of people to um, the Book Mormon would be very difficult. Um, due to the fact that there were already other people here and there's going to be obviously intermarriage and all those different kind of things. And uh, again, there's some, we'll get into some of that um, later on, but want to call that out that there was a change there to recognize um, that principle was not necessarily accurate, that among it, <clears throat> the ancestors is a little more accurate. All right. <clears throat> Um, so crowning event, uh, back to the introduction here, crowning event recorded in the Book of Mormon is the personal ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ among the Nephites after his resurrection. Um, 
this is something that that has to be called out. This it's just an incredible, um, little branch of scripture here. You know, through Third Nephi, you know, nine through the the end of Third Nephi, um, in particular, verse chapter eleven. Excuse me, when the Savior actually makes his physical appearance, um, and really the words are just beautiful. Um, when he first appears, he says, "Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophet testified shall come into the world." Behold, I am the light and the life of the world. And I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father and take upon me the sins of the world, and the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. Um, and then, for me, what's, I mean, there's so much we could get into with those words, but what's even more beautiful is what happens next with the Savior that he invites them all to come forth unto him, to thrust their hands in his side, to feel the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet so that they can come to know that he is the God of Israel, the God of the whole earth, and that he's been slain for the sins of the world. And not just for the sins of the world, but for their sins. And I think that's what makes it so powerful is here's roughly, we find out later, about 2,500 people, and he takes time one by one for them to come forth and come to know him. Um, and I think for me, I just want to think about the Book of Mormon this year as that experience for each one of us to have a one by one with Jesus Christ, to come to know him, to feel through his words in the Book of Mormon that he is the God of Israel, that he was slain for your sins and for mine, um, and that he was raised from the dead and that he has all power. Um, and so I just love... Um, that image um, and that thought of that one by one and how much the Savior loves each individual person, um, that he took the time to let each one come up and feel the prints of his nails in his hands and his feet and, and to just really come to know him. And so I think we can have that experience in the Book of Mormon this year as we study it carefully um, and really come to know Jesus Christ individually. <clears throat> the next part of the introduction that I wanted to touch on that I think is just really, really cool is this simple statement here. <clears throat> it says, it puts forth the doctrines of the, uh, the Book of Mormon, right? It puts forth the doctrines of the gospel, out, outlines the plan of salvation, and tells men what they must do to gain peace in this life and eternal salvation in the life to come. So thinking about the plan of salvation, let's go from the beginning. Alma chapter 13 is a great example of some... Um, truths that you can learn about the pre-mortal life. Okay, Alma 13, the first five verses um, that Alma invites us to put at the forefront. He says, cite your minds forward. So put at the forefront of your mind um, this pre-mortal world and what happened. And it talks, uh, it talks through in verse three um, about foreordination. And then I love in um, chapter or verses four and five of Alma 13, and thus they have been called to this holy calling on account of their faith, while others would reject the Spirit of God on account of the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds. While if it had not been for this, they might have had as great privilege as their brethren. Or in fine, in the first place, so in the beginning, as we were created spiritually, we were, they were on the same standing as their brethren. So like everybody was placed on that same standing. Um, and it just shows God's love and God's, desire for us all to have an opportunity to have all that he offers to us, which is all that he has. Um, and so 
thinking through this concept of looking at the Book of Mormon through the lens of the plan of salvation, um, Alma 13, pre-mortal life. Then you go Alma 12, verse 24, talks about uh, mortal life and that this life is a probationary state of time for men to prepare to meet God. Alma 34, 31 through 34, preaches the same idea and then gets right, brings us right to the spirit world. The Savior himself in, in 3 Nephi 27 says, What manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. That is a perfect encapsulation of what the purpose of life is. It's to become, as C.S. Lewis said, little Christs. And so I love that concept. And to think about the doctrine of the gospel and how <clears throat> they're outlined so clearly in 2 Nephi 31 with the doctrine of Christ, with Nephi's sermon on the doctrine of Christ. And we could go through and read that. And then the spirit world you know, again, think about the, the plan of salvation in Alma chapter 40, verses 11 through 14. There's a clear description um, of the spirit world. And I know um, a lot of people say, oh, well, the, like, the concept of heaven and the three degrees of glory isn't necessarily taught in the Book of Mormon. Uh, and I, I think I would say to the contrary that if you study Alma chapter 41 very carefully, um, that it actually teaches the same principles and doctrines quite clearly because of how uh, of the doctrine of restoration. Um, and so just in, invite you to consider in Alma 41 how that might be um, a, a very good explanation about heaven and the degrees of glory and, and how that might all work and how important it is that it's not just our works, but it's also our, about our desires. Um, and I think that's such a critical piece that we focus so much on the works, but we also <clears throat> forget to recognize that um, God looks at our desires as well, even if we're imperfect in our works. So the Book of Mormon, as you go through it this year, it really does outline that plan of salvation. It really does outline the doctrine of Christ. And it really does, as I mentioned previously, find help us see ways to find peace in this life. Um, so just be looking for that and maybe spend <clears throat> a few minutes this week finding a passage um, for each sort of part of the plan of salvation, if you will, um, or maybe find a verse or two that helps you to, to see how you can gain peace in this life and how you can gain salvation in the life to come um, through the merits and mercy and grace of Christ. So... Um, Okay, I think anything else? Uh, oh yeah, one other one other thing uh, I wanted to touch on in the introduction is related to Moroni's promise. And we talk about this all the time, but I, I think we don't often talk about it maybe the way uh, that we should. Um, so Moroni's promise is found in Moroni chapter ten, verses three through five. <clears throat> so I'm going to read it and just point out a couple of things here. It says, Behold, I would exhort you that when you shall read these things, okay, all the words in the Book of Mormon, if it be wisdom in God that you should read them, that you would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time that you shall receive these things and ponder it in your hearts. Okay, so when you look at this, it's you shall receive these things, plural. So the writings of the Book of Mormon, and that says, and ponder it in your heart. And if you look at what is, the, what is preceding it, what is it referring to, it's actually the mercy of the Lord. Uh, and so Moroni is actually inviting us to ponder the mercy of the Lord as we read the Book of Mormon. Okay, And 
then to take this further, and when you shall receive these things, the words of the Book of Mormon, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things, so the words of the Book of Mormon, are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, you will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. It, again, refers back to the mercy of the Lord. The beautiful thing about the Book of Mormon, one of the beautiful things about the Book of Mormon and its purposes is to help us see God's mercy. Um, You know, we're too judgmental of each other and we're certainly too judgmental of ourselves. And to have a book that allows us to just clearly see God's mercy in action and to see how his mercy can apply to our own lives. Such a powerful concept. And so this idea of Moroni's promise, for sure, we can have that experience of coming to know the Book of Mormon is true. But the real focal point of Moroni's promise is to help us know that the mercy of God is real, is true, it's active, and can be active in our own lives. And so I would just invite you, maybe a good exercise here um, would to be to go through and just think about what are some examples of God's mercy in the Book of Mormon? Where do we see his mercy in action? Um, you know, mercy being avoiding punishment that we actually deserve. So what are examples in the Book of Mormon where people avoid punishment that they actually deserve because of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ? And I think that's a powerful exercise to go through. Um, And then to think in your own life about the times when you probably should have received your due consequences, your just due, if you will, and when God's mercy was extended on your behalf, that you avoided a punishment that you deserve because of the mercy of God. Uh, And that is one of the messages in the Book of Mormon. So um, that's the last piece I wanted to touch on in the the introduction. Um, I think on the the testimony of the three and eight witnesses, I didn't want to really spend too much time there other than to just think um, about how their testimonies might relate to your own testimony um, and and just to consider how their words might become your words in a way. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on this, this first week, um, not to take too much time obviously in, a, in this episode here, but um, to just... Uh, think about the the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith and you know really a lot here we don't need to go through the the whole story but in the beginning here I want us to remember if we go to Joseph Smith history to get the context of how the Book of Mormon actually came into play and it connects so powerfully with the with Moroni's promise actually because Joseph when it talks about his prayer on the 21st of September in 1823 Okay, um, when you think about that, um, that is that experience came from Joseph worrying about his own salvation, a worrying if God still had a work for him to do, because he talks about in Joseph Smith history, like, hey, I made some mistakes, I did some things I shouldn't have done, like I was called of God, and I I really shouldn't have done the things that I did, um, so he went to the Lord looking for that confirmation that like, do you still have a work for me to do? Like even after I've made mistakes, 
do you still have something for me to do? And when Moroni first appears to him, <clears throat> he calls Joseph by name and says, God has a work for you to do. And immediately gives him that assurance. And there it is, the mercy of God. Like Joseph knew he shouldn't have done some of those things and he did them. You know, again, just consequences. There's probably some just do there. But God's mercy was extended on his behalf. He was forgiven. He was still called to do God's work. Uh, again, goes back to this whole concept of God being able to transmit his perfect message through imperfect people. Um, so I wanted to touch on that because I think it's really important to recognize the, the context in which the Book of Mormon was brought into the restoration story. And it was a young man wanting mercy wanting to know that Jesus Christ's atonement was applicable in his life. Um, this concept, again, the name of the podcast, Emmanuel, God with us, was, was God still with Joseph despite his mistakes? And the answer is a resounding yes. And it's the same thing for us. as If we're willing to turn to him uh, and to seek his grace, to seek his mercy, he is going to be with us and he is going to still call us to do his work and to bring his message to others. So I, I definitely wanted to touch on that in the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith and to recognize the context because I think it sets up the per, one of the main purposes of the Book of Mormon so well, and that is the mercy of God. Um, I think there's a lot of things we could talk about with you know Joseph coming back and being prepared for the Book of Mormon and all those different things. There's some great stuff in uh, the Saints book um, about that whole process that I would highly recommend. Um, but really, just uh, in this first episode, wanted to hit on really hard the, the main purposes of the Book of Mormon, you know, to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, that we're not cast off forever, that uh, to help us come to a knowledge of His mercy and how it can be active in our own lives. So um, just want to leave those thoughts with you, and we will talk again next week first few chapters of the Book of Mormon. Super excited. We're going to look at the first few chapters of the Book of Mormon as an analogy of the plan of salvation with some types and shadows of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, um, talk about some things that maybe you haven't thought of before or um, at least reinforce some things that maybe you have thought of before that, that could be taken deeper in your heart. So see you next week.